Genesis chapter 27, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son. And he answered him, here I am. Then he said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and make me savoury food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat and that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savoury food for me that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats and I will make savoury food from them for your father such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice, and go, Get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savoury food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she had put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she gave the savoury food and bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, Why is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come nearer that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother, Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, my God, Give you the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. 
Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savoury food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came in with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given him as his servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do for you now, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew from above, of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, These days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, listen to my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth, If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these who are daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? Amen. We'll end our reading there at the end of chapter 27. And thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Before we come to try and understand this together, let's pray and ask for God's help. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word. We praise you for the drama of Scripture. And we pray today that that drama would turn for us into doctrine, that we may understand what it is we are to believe. 
And then even from there, that the doctrine would turn to doxology, that we, as your people, would give you worship and praise and glory. We pray for the help of your Holy Spirit, because we, O God, need your help to understand the Scriptures. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I was called here, uh, almost three years ago, uh, to Kings Mills, uh, back in 2019, I was assistant minister in Railway Street in Lisburn. Many of you know that. And at that time, there were big plans afoot to hold a very large mission in Lisburn between the months of March, April and May 2020. It was going to be called Lisburn 2020, lighting up Lisburn with the love of Jesus. And there were events planned across the whole uh, city or town of Lisburn in different churches, in different outdoor venues. There were to be gala dinners, golf days, kids fun days, and everything was to be finished off with a, a week of mission evenings held in Wallace High School. Many, many churches were involved in the planning as well as other groups. And it was a long time in the planning. We were engaged in Railway Street and praying about that for about a year before it was going to happen. Well, friends, I'm sure you remember March, April and May 2020. Needless to say, Lisburn 2020 did not happen. We spent most of those months locked up in our homes. We weren't able to go through even the gate. Lisburn 2020 was cancelled, along with many, many other events, meetings, gatherings, because of COVID. For some people, things are still being cancelled today because of COVID. You, you might even miss something in the next couple of months because of having COVID yourself. I wonder if we've learned the lesson that COVID has taught us. We should have known it already, shouldn't we? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Didn't COVID teach us that our plans and purposes in this life can be totally derailed by a microscopic virus? It taught us that our plans can be thwarted. Our plans can be stopped. But the passage we have before us today is not about the plans of man. It's about the plan of God. And the question that our passage answers today is what about God's plans? Can they be thwarted? Can God's plans be derailed? And of course, as we would expect, the answer is a resounding no. And so then we can look at the passage again and ask this question. Is it possible that if God's plans can't be thwarted, is it possible that God works out his plans and his purposes through sinful people? Of course, the answer to that question is that if God didn't work through sinful people, he wouldn't have anybody left. The clear teaching of God's word for us today is that God will carry forth his plans and purposes in this world. He can even use sinful human ambition. He can use deception. 
He can use an old man who is more driven by his stomach than by godly wisdom. God uses the sinful actions of sinful people to extend his covenant plans and blessing. And so this passage today, I I think, gives us assurance. It gives us hope. It teaches us that God is sovereign. And that God will not have his plans derailed by sinful human actions. In fact, he can use those very actions to carry out his good will for this world. I want you to be assured today. If you have ever wondered, is what I'm doing thwarting God's plans? Well, it's simply not possible to do that. God will carry forth his plans and purposes. Let's turn to God's word to Genesis 27 to learn this important truth. Do you have it open in front of you? We see it first with the foolishness of Isaac. And secondly, we learn it in the deception of Jacob. And finally, at the end, I want us to turn for a moment to the New Testament and see the victory of God. The scene is set for us in the first verse of chapter 27. You see that first verse? Isaac is now old and his eyes have faded. They're dim, he cannot see. Let us not forget what Isaac has seen in his life. Think back through the life of this man. He has seen the amazing power of God, the provision of God. This is the same when he was a boy who was tied to an altar, who was seconds away from being stabbed through the heart. Isaac heard the voice of the Lord. He saw the ram caught in the bushes. And his life was saved. He has heard from God. God has spoken to him regarding the promises that God made to Abraham and would pass on to Isaac. Isaac is the one. The child of promise who carries on God's covenant blessing. And that's not to mention that what we've heard about Isaac in these last number of weeks. Isaac is blessed by God. In physical ways, in material ways, he, he has a beautiful wife. He has many flocks and herds. He has great wealth. He has two healthy sons. But now he's blind. And the fact that he's now blind seems to reflect something that was going on inside Isaac for a while. He, he is now physically blind, but... It would seem he's been spiritually blind for some time. He's not understood the wonder of God's blessing upon him. He's not accepted the prophecy that God made back in chapter 25. You can flick back to verse 23 of chapter 25 if you want. It's only a page or so previous in our Bibles. It's it's many years in time. God made a prophecy to Rebekah. God said two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. Isaac was not only blind in his eyes, but he was blind to this promise that the older shall serve the younger. And so Isaac tries to do something in this passage 
in Genesis 27, he tries to do something that is a very bad idea. He tries to overturn God's plans. He knows God's promise. He knows that Esau, the older, will serve Jacob, the younger. But look at what Isaac does. He he calls in Esau. He says, Esau, I'm going to give you the blessing. And do you see the blessing that, that he gives to Esau? When it, whenever he thinks it's Esau, we know, we know that he's blessing Jacob. But Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau. And he says things like, be master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you. Isaac is deliberately trying to overturn, overturn God's plans. Now we've read on, we know how the story turns out. Rather than Esau receiving the blessing as Isaac intended... Jacob deceives him. And so God's plans are carried forward. The older will serve the younger. This is foolishness from Isaac. He should have known better. He should have known that God's plans and purposes are perfect. We've already pointed out, he he lay on the altar. He knows that God's plan was for him to lie there, tied to the altar, about to be slaughtered. Only for God to intervene in the last minute. Isaac has seen God at work in his life. But he's now blind. And his physical blindness is matched by a spiritual blindness. Isaac is not open to what God wants. He is happy to press on. To try and impose his plans and his purposes on God. I'm sure we can all associate a bit with Isaac here. I don't know what it might be for you, but I'm sure there are areas of your life where you know what God's will is. You know it. But nonetheless, you ply on doing what you want anyway. Maybe it's in the area of money or sex or greed or pride. God's word is very clear that God's will for our lives is that we live according to his law. When we wander into sin, when we break any of the Ten Commandments, well, we're doing what Isaac did. We're trying trying to thwart God's plans and purposes. And that can be a really bad thing for us. It, It can result in hurt, hurting ourselves or those around us. You see what happens here with Isaac? The the whole thing descends into a mess. He seeks to undermine God's plans. That's sinful. God's plans are not overturned. Isaac fails in doing that. They can't be overturned. But you see, there's still a wedge driven into his family. There are consequences. There are consequences for sin. Consequences for trying to derail God's plans. Verse 33, Isaac trembled exceedingly. When he realized what had happened. The next verse, Esau cried with an exceedingly bitter and great cry. And the story ends with Jacob being sent away. And we'll see over the next month what becomes of Jacob. It takes years for this relationship between Jacob and Esau to be reconciled. We cannot. It is not possible for us to derail God's plans. But be assured 
that there are real life consequences for our sin. Sins can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus. That is absolutely the case. But there are real life consequences for going against God's word. Isaac's foolishness led to the breakup of his family. But nonetheless, God's blessing still went to Jacob. God's plan is carried forward. And again, that is because God can even use sinful deception. God uses the sinful deception of Jacob to carry out his plans and purposes. And so we come to our second point, the deception of Jacob. And to be fair to Jacob, I think we have to say that Rebecca has as much a part to play in this as her son. They conspire together to rob Esau and to make sure that Jacob gets the blessing instead. Now you might wonder to yourself, is Rebecca really being sinful? Is she not simply acting on that promise? She knows that Isaac is going to try and bless Esau. Well, is she not trying to act on the promise that God gave that the older will serve the younger? Well, I think the answer to that is very simple. God does not, God never calls his people into sin in order to bring about his purposes. God does not call his people into sin in order to bring about his purposes. So yes, God will use the sinful actions of Jacob and Rebekah, but that does not mean if they had refrained from sinning that God's plans would not have been accomplished. Jacob and Rebekah should have simply waited. They should have waited to see how God would bring his plans to pass. It's because of a lack of trust. It's because of a lack of patience. And and we've seen that, haven't we, in this family of Abraham and Hagar as a good example. It's because of a lack of trust that they act deceitfully instead of waiting on God and his perfect timing. Can I wonder if we can associate with this? Might it be possible that, that we are ever tempted in this way? Are we ever tempted to, let's just tell a small lie. It's for the greater good. I know I felt that at times. But it simply indicates a lack of trust in God to bring about his plans and his purposes. God can and God will use the sinful actions of sinful people for his good. But that does not mean and it cannot mean that God needs us to sin in order to bring about his plans. It's important to see in this story just how far the deception of Jacob and Rebekah goes. It's complete in its sinfulness. At each point, they actually use God's name, don't they? They blaspheme against God. They say that it's, this is what God would want. Jacob says that God gave him success in the hunt. He uses God in order to tell his lie. Each part of this deception is planned to make sure that Isaac is led astray. I wonder, did you notice as we read through that all five of Isaac's senses are mentioned in this passage? When we know that Isaac cannot see. Now his hearing, well his hearing can't be deceived. In verse 22 he actually says the voice is Jacob's voice. His hearing is not deceived. But aside from that, his hands, 
touch and say, these are, these are Esau's hands. The food tastes like Esau's food. And the final deception is the smell, isn't it? Isaac smells his son. The smell of my son is like the smell of a field. I don't know if that applies to anybody here. I'm sure you've all had a bath. The deception is complete. All five senses are tricked. And Jacob receives the blessing. I think this has something to say to us about what we trust. What do we trust in this world? We're going to be thinking a fair bit next Sunday and also this coming Tuesday night about how we live the Christian life by faith and not by sight. We don't evaluate or judge things by worldly standards. And so as we learn with Isaac here, our senses can be deceived. We don't live by what we can see or hear or taste or smell or touch. Those things are important, but we rely on something else. We rely on the Spirit of God. We rely on the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us by God's Word. We don't ignore worldly things. We accept light where it may be found in this world, but we're not governed by our senses. We're governed and led and guided and protected by the Spirit of God as he works in the Word. That's why God's word is so important to us. Because it shows us God's plans and purposes. We come back to our original point for today. God is sovereign. He will not have his plans derailed by sinful human actions. Indeed, in this instance, he he uses the deception of Jacob and Rebekah to make sure that his plans are carried out. So I want you to take comfort today. You know, today, this is, the, this is the first Sunday in my time as a minister that we have a Hindu as prime minister in government. And I know there are some among us who will be concerned about that, and I understand those concerns. But I want you to take hope and comfort and assurance from God's word today. It would be wonderful to have a Christian prime minister I don't think we can say that about at least the previous two prime ministers in any real or meaningful way. We're not really in that much of a different place today with a Hindu as we were with a nominal or secular prime minister claiming to be a Christian. But equally there is great comfort in God's word because what do we see? We see that God can use the sinful actions of sinful people to carry forward his plans and purposes. If he didn't use sinful people, he wouldn't have anyone left. I don't want you to live in worry. I don't want you to live in fear. God is greater. God is stronger than anything in all creation. His plans and purposes cannot, cannot be thwarted or derailed by the sinful actions of sinful people. His covenant plan to bless the nations through the descendants of Abraham Well, it has many ups and downs, doesn't it? As we read through the Old Testament, humanly speaking, it it looks like this wobbly line that's in danger of fading out over and over again. But from God's perspective, this plan is straight and it is sure and it is passing on through time from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob 
and on to the nations of the world through Christ. And even, even to us here today and then forevermore. And I suppose that brings us to our final point and it is very brief. The victory of God. We've seen today that God uses sinful people to carry out his plans. This story is a clear example of that. But I think an even clearer and more important example is the death of Christ. Think about how Jesus was put to death. The sinful greed of Judas. The proud jealousy of the Jewish leaders. The carelessness of Pontius Pilate. The cruelty of the Roman soldiers. God carried out the central act of his covenant redemption plan, the death of Jesus, through all of these sinful men acting together in unison. That's how God brought hope to the world. How did God bring hope to you and me? Well, he saved us. He saved us from death through the sinful actions of sinful men. Isn't that wonderful to hear? In the first sermon of the Christian church under the New Testament, Peter's sermon at Pentecost, he says this. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, him, Jesus of Nazareth, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. I wonder if you caught that. Jesus was crucified by the sinful, cruel actions of men, and yet... It was the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And so God can use even deception and cruelty and evil to accomplish his plan of redemption so that we can be saved. In fact, it was the plan of God that after his death, Jesus would be raised from the grave to bring God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we might wonder about that. We, we might look at the world around us and wonder, is God really bringing his plans to bear in this world? And maybe part of the way through the story, that's how it looks. When we read Genesis 27 and, and see this dif- dysfunctional family filled with sinful desires, we might think, how could God ever work out his plans and purposes? And we look to the cross and, and we see Jesus dying, the, the son of God, who came to his own but was rejected by them. We might wonder, how is God carrying out his plans and purposes? When you look at your own life, you might ask, how, God, is this carrying out your plans and purposes? But God does. He will always and continue to carry out his will through sinful people. And so the message that comes to us today is that God's plans cannot fail. They cannot be thwarted. They cannot be derailed. God can use even human deception and foolishness and cruelty to carry out his plan of redemption. God is sovereign over all things. 
His plans, his purposes will come to pass if you ever doubt that. And I know we do. If you ever doubt that, just look to the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.